the thing that stands out to me is that Josh Thomas is the only white male. There's three white females, I think. I'm pretty sure it's three. That's how I get to the even number. But yeah, just to have four white folks out of the 20 new folks, that's amazing to me, having grown up in, in 1960s Richmond, Virginia. Black Virginia News is sponsored by Virginia Nation Tees. Visit VirginianationTees at Etsy.com. This is episode 27 of the Black Virginia News Podcast. This is Lauren Burke and me and Dr. Fergie Reed Jr. are going to talk about our five takeaways from 2023 election cycle in Virginia. This is the podcast for Black Virginia News. You are listening to the podcast for Black Virginia News, the first and only platform that covers all of Black Virginia. election night, November 7, 2023, in Richmond, Virginia. During this episode, Fergie Reed and I are going to discuss what our five takeaways are for this 2023 election cycle. This is probably episode one of maybe even three takeaway episodes. We need leaders that believe that if others are successful, then they're right. And Dr. Fergie Reed Jr. is the son of William Ferguson Reed otherwise known as Fergie Reed Sr., who in 1968 became the first African-American elected to the Virginia General Assembly since Reconstruction. And, uh, I think we have a record number of new candidates elected into our General Assembly. About 36% of our General Assembly will be new. We this episode was recorded on November 18, 2023. We knew um, early on that this was going to be the majority maker, that uh, it was going to take Virginia, 19 months of My first takeaway uh, is that for the first time in the history of the Commonwealth of Virginia, the black population is equal to the representation in state government, which has never happened before in the history of the Commonwealth of Virginia. So we have a situation where 31 black folks will be serving in office in state government in the Virginia Senate and Virginia House in 2024. And that is, uh, that is roughly exactly the population, <laughs> the black population of Virginia, which is 20%. Uh, which comes to 28. I mean, there's 140 members. There will be 140 members of the Virginia General Assembly serving next year. Uh, 20% of that is 28 people. And there will be 31 in total African-Americans serving next year. So it's almost exactly 20%. And uh, that's exciting. That's amazing. And that's the first time that's ever happened. And that's one of my, that's one of my, that's my takeaway number one. It started including the people of color and the women, and it starts looking like America and Virginia. Um, so, but it only took 400 years. <laughs> but who's counting? 404 to be exact, but yeah, who's counting? <laughs> right. 
Um, along those lines, my number one is the beautiful rainbow coalition of diversity that this current General Assembly is going to to have. Um, 34 new members, um, 20 new Democrats, 14 new Republicans. I think only maybe one or two of those districts are actual flips. Um, you know, but they're not the same districts, right? Uh, 20 Democrats. Within the 20 Democrats, I think it's uh, six black women and six black men and one AAPI male and one AAPI female, two Hispanic males and uh, one white male. Um, really interesting that out of 20 new members, there's only one white male. And that says something about the Democratic Party, not only in Virginia, but throughout the country, that it's way more inclusive than the Republican Party because of the 14 new Republican members, you have two white females and 12 white males, which is kind of standard brand for Republicans uh, in Virginia. I'm a little disappointed, to be clear. And, uh, and I think that that's just a the natural reality. The thing that stands reality. out to me is that uh, Josh Thomas is the only white male. Right. Uh, there's three white females, I think. Um, I'm pretty sure it's three. That's how you get to the even number. But yeah, just to have four white folks out of the 20 new folks, that's amazing to me, having grown up in... in 1960s Richmond, Virginia, to have that kind of turnaround, which is what you were talking about in your your number one. The parody is amazing. It is. So. It's historic. It's amazing. Um, okay, my number two is that the Democratic Party of Virginia has given up on rural. Democrats in rural America. In 1992, Democrats won 51% of the rural vote. By 2016, that number was just 35%. And rural voters have been identifying as Republicans by when wider you look and wider at this margins. cycle and realize that Trish White Boyd was effectively abandoned, right? She, we're stopping at Roanoke, apparently, <laughs> right? So the, the, of, of the, the people who were considered competitive. Oh, right? absolutely, absolutely, and she was competitive, and yet it didn't matter. So you have a situation where you see these other races for Senate. We'll just take the Senate. Uh, obviously, you know, the, the high raisers were Russett Perry, uh, Skylar Van Valkenburg, and Monty Mason. That was the one, two, three. And that was $6 million, $5 million, and $5 million. And Trish White Boyd is out there running against a fairly moderate Republican. I, might, I think David Suderline is uh, sort of a libertarian Republican. Uh, but, you know, gets effectively no help, no energy, no nothing. That makes absolutely no sense. Do you know no whether sense. David Sirtaline got money from Clean Virginia? Uh, he did. He got money from Clean Virginia. But I have to say, as somebody who has watched David Sirtaline close up, because when Justin Fairfax was lieutenant governor, and I was sitting there watching Sirtaline, you know, Sirtaline was one of the only members who would speak openly against Dominion Energy. Uh, he would speak against uh, the, the electrical rates going up, et cetera, and so on. Uh, and that's a rare thing in our politics that anyone speaks out against moneyed interest. Now, it is interesting, of course, that Clean Virginia, which, which typically donates again, uh, for Democrats, you know, donated for a Republican in that race. I'm not sure why they did not just simply donate to Pseudo Line and Trish White Boyd. Just do both. 
maybe I'm just the only nerd that noticed that David Sudeline talks out against Dominion. But I'm more interested in the fact that the Democratic Party, which talks so much about being uh, a little bit more aggressive in rural after Glenn Youngkin rolled a bus into rural Southwest in 2021 and ends up winning an election. Uncontested in rural Southwest. Completely, uh, completely uncontested. And so, you know, once again, all this talk about rural does not turn over into any action. And, you know, I think I made my point. So but there's me... talk, though. Right? I mean, the, the talk is talk. Exactly right. right. Exactly. The talk ends up being cheap. A, a very it, cheap. Deeds, <laughs> deeds are, are what you judge on. Subscribe to Black Virginia News at blackvirginianews.substack.com. Well, let's keep talking about that because... Um, Amongst some of these rural people, you know, and I, and I get your your uh, criticism of the party as, as relates to Trish Whitequote, but for me, the party is not Richmond. Right? They have titles. That's the you know the seat of the organization, but the organization is made up of the people, and so the people are more the party to me. And for me, rural people stepped up in the Democratic Party. Maybe without the help of the people in Richmond, but they stepped up. Um, the two uh, mother and daughter out there right next to Trish White Boyd, um, Patty Quesenberry and Rainy Gates and Misty Vickers and uh, Stephanie Clark and Esther Neiser and Kathy Berry and Emily Scott and Jade Harris, all up and down the I-81 corridor. corridor uh those folks stepped up. There was another uh, competitive race out there, Lily Franklin. But that's a Democratic, you know, much more Democratic district. And she almost won. So hopefully she'll win again. And hopefully all those other people who stepped up along the I-81 rural corridor will run. Maddie Rodriguez, um, you know. And then towards the, the inner part of Virginia, uh, the young man, Jason Ford, who made history this cycle, black candidate running in a super rural, white, demographically white area, the youngest person to ever run for either house or Senate this cycle. Uh, did you follow Jason at all? Uh, not really, no. I mean, I knew he was there because he was the youngest in history, but I didn't really specifically follow him. He usually starts a good conversation. Um, but in my experience, it's, it's, been, it's been very exciting, right? You get to talk to a lot of folks yeah, so, I mean, these people are making history. They're not getting the, the lion's share of the limelight because they're not in competitive districts. But these people are putting work in. Uh, Charlena Jones on the eastern shore, Myra Payne uh, down in, in the southern part of Virginia Beach in Chesapeake, which is very rural down towards the North Carolina border. Um, Pam Garner, Jaleesia Ward, um, John Q. Smith, Herb Walk, uh, Bilal Rishuni, I'm, I'm leaving a lot of people out, Mary Person, people stepping up to run in rural areas. That's the Democratic Party to me, the individuals, the people that they're going to activate because, hey, somebody's running my district. Hey, well, sometimes we don't even run anybody, but now we're running somebody and they're cool. And they're good, and they're talking about good stuff. So, yeah, I, I try to decentralize the party definition and 
for me, it's a good sign that there's activity in rural areas that's not dependent on Richmond. Uh, up to election day, my internals had us up three on election day, but you know it is. But as you know, a huge red wave came out specifically in Southwest Virginia. Follow Black Virginia News on Facebook at facebook.com backslash Black Virginia News and on TikTok and Twitter at Black Virginia News. Send comments and tips to blackvirginianews at gmail.com. My third takeaway is that black candidates can't fundraise is dead. That That's really dead. I thought it was dead before this when we looked at uh, what Jennifer Carroll Foy did when she ran for governor in 2021. But to put an even finer point on it, now we have Don Scott raising $3 million and Mamie Locke. Mamie Locke and uh, Aaron Rouse and Louise Lucas. And you just start going down the names of these folk who put big money in their accounts and then spread some of it around. And yeah, so that, that talking point is dead. Yeah, that's gone forever, I suspect. And what's your third takeaway? That money doesn't equal success. Money's beautiful. Don't get me wrong. It's great to have money in politics, but you don't have to have it to be effective. And again, you know, I'm not talking about the people who won because everybody kind of locks in on the people who won. But the team is made up of all the players, not just the ones who, who get most valuable player awards. So, you know, for me, some of the most valuable players are the people who spent the least on their accounts while, you know, putting real numbers up. So Herb Walk in, in uh, Chesterfield County got 45% of the vote and he spent like 53 cents a vote. And Mark Lux got 44% of the vote on I-95 between uh, Fredericksburg and Ashland, Fredericksburg and, and Richmond. And he spent like 33 cents a vote. That's a lot of vote to get for a little money. No, that's right. So I think there, there are 12 candidates, six Republicans, six Democrats, all of whom got more than 35% of the vote. Some of them got over 40, and they spent less than a dollar a vote. And that's remarkable to me. And it helps the other people who are going to get most valuable player. They're going to be delegates. They're going to be senators. Those people are doing real heavy lifting, helping the, uh, the, the people who are going to end up getting seats in the legislature. Follow Black Virginia News on Facebook at facebook.com backslash Black Virginia News and on TikTok and Twitter at Black Virginia News. Send comments and tips to blackvirginianews at gmail.com. Lauren Victoria Burke has worked in politics in New York and Virginia and for four members of the U.S. Congress. She has worked at USA Today, ABC News, The Guardian, Associated Press, and Black Press USA. Ms. Burke has appeared on CNN and MSNBC and appears regularly on Roland Martin Unfiltered. My fourth takeaway is that uh, there's a lot of money being raised. There's a record amount of money being raised. In the 2019 cycle, it was 53 million dollars for these legislative uh, races 
Now it's at $80 million. And what is happening is the voter percentage, the voter participation does not seem to be running parallel to all this money that's being raised, which really doesn't make sense to me. There were a lot of, uh, you know, races this cycle, uh, not a whole lot of competition. And because of that, not a whole lot of uh, voter participation, and particularly in very blue districts and very red districts. And so you would think that with the record money coming in, there would be, it would be reflected even in an off-off year, it would be reflected in the participation. And the reason I bring this up is, of course, next year, there is going to be an epic battle for democracy, uh, most likely between President Joe Biden and Donald Trump. And so voter interest and participation and, and strategy for turnout is going to be really important and I'm not sure we saw it in this cycle, even though we saw record uh, amounts of money coming in, $80 million. We also saw it too, by the way, with the Richmond casino vote, a $10 million spend by Urban One, and it yielded nothing. They, they lost worse on the ballot initiative on the referendum than they did last time. So that's another thought that I'll throw out there, Which but proves you can you can waste a lot of money in politics. Oh, absolutely, you, really you can waste it, a lot of money. Right? Four hundred dollars a vote, <laughs> so that's my. Favorite. And they and lost. Um, <laughs> I look at it kind of this way: if if a student wants to succeed in school, they're going to go to class and they're going to pay attention and they're going to do the work and they're going to show up and really want to perform. They can have all the money spent on tutors that they want. You know, they can have all the teachers spending extra time with them, you know, trying to help them succeed. But if they don't want to do it, then, you know, all of that is for naught. And you could end up spending a lot of money trying to, you know, get your result. But if the people don't want it, then um, you might not get the result that you think you're paying for. Um, so it, all that to say, it's better to have a motivated base of voters than a, a, a base that you're trying to persuade and trying to motivate with artificial means. Um, and we saw that in 2017, people were just motivated yeah. for obvious reasons. Um, and it kind of carried over to 2019 and a little bit of a lull in 2021 and 2023. And I think that's the, the lull you're talking about. Yep. And no amount of money is really going to solve that. You have to motivate people because they want you know they want the result themselves i have now knocked more than a thousand doors i've had hundreds of conversations with people on the left right and in the middle house of delegates candidate jessica anderson and ironically every single conversation these deep 10 15 20 minute conversations i've had at the doors i've found that no matter what their political perspective is we share the same concerns now, obviously, we don't my number four is all the awesome women participation this cycle and how women uh, showed up as candidates in really difficult areas. So the uh, heroics of the women this cycle, um, you know, against long odds, I'm going to start naming off some names again, Pam Garner and Myra Payne and Charlena Jones and Kat Porterfield and, you know, Karen Jenkins and Jaleesia Ward and uh, Mary Person and Eddie Quesenberry and Rene Gates and, and Misty uh, Dawn Vickers and Kim Moran 
and Jade Harris and Stephanie Clark and Esther Neiser and Emily Scott and Maddie Rodriguez, all of these people. And then I probably left a couple out, but running in kind of Republican or totally Republican districts, understanding the odds of success and trying to redefine what success is. And they did. And again, some of these people really succeeded uh, just, you know, by the, the natural measure, not by my measure. But, you know, did you get 40% of the vote? How much did you spend per vote? Misty Vickers spent less than a dollar a vote and got just about 40% of the vote. It's remarkable. Cat um, Porterfield got over 40% or just about 40%. And she didn't get all the big help from the party. You know, Charlena Jones running on the Eastern Shore. Cycle after cycle after cycle, people on the Eastern Shore say, you know, we can't find anybody, we can't find anybody. And then they get somebody. It's usually uh, a person of color. And here's Charlena Jones after Penel Norton, after Phil Hernandez, after Willie Randall, doing it again, you know, putting it up. Uh, Tori Luovano's running for Senate on the Eastern Shore. Again, another person of color. Just total uh, heroicism going on, and I love it. And I hope a lot of those people decide to run again. I'm sure. I left out Susanna Gibson and uh, and Jessica Anderson, who you know, if they run again, they're going to be delegates. Kim Pope Adams, if she runs again, she's going to be a delegate. Uh, you know, it's just awesome the number of women who stepped up. My number five is really a commentary, a takeaway that I have about Northern Virginia versus Tidewater Hampton Roads. Uh, this idea that, oh my gosh, there's all these black people who are here and they've taken over. Well, well let, let's think about that for a second. And we've been sitting here for 400 plus years, right, finally reaching parity on the 404th year. Not able to vote for... <laughs> a couple of those centuries exactly right and you know i won't go through a whole commentary on half the time spent enslaved i won't go i won't go into that but i'll, I'll just say this coming into 2004 there will be a black chair of the finance committee there will be a black chair first of the time in history right right a black chair of the appropriations committee in the house of delegates first time in history the black speaker of the house uh, and the continuance, of course, of a historic Lieutenant Governor Winsome Sears. About me. My name is Winsome Sears, and I served in the United States Marine Corps. I was the first Republican to win a seat in the House of Delegates in a majority black district since 1865. You know, like we saw with Katanji Brown Jackson when she was nominated as the first black female uh, member of the U.S. Supreme Court, out of 116 people. For too long, our government, our courts, haven't looked like America. And I believe it's time that we have a court one black the female full in 233 years and everybody's flipping out and Ted Cruz is nervous and all this other nonsense. When you look at the committee structure um, in the Senate of Virginia, uh, seniority has a significant role. So those who uh, are- You know, there's this sort of tendency to act as if when one black person shows up, they're taking over, okay? So Don Scott, I believe, will be speaker number 93 
All yes, the other what centers speakers... the feelings of the people who've been in power always, rather than the people who've been in power never. And maybe some of the feelings of the people who've been in power never need to be, you know, considered just as much as the feelings of the people who've been in power always. Some of y'all know my story. I've been through some stuff. But a lot of us have been through stuff. And so I can empathize and relate to folks who've gone through stuff. And that's why I serve in this role right now. That's why I'm grateful for all of you tonight, and I'm grateful for the Commonwealth of Virginia. Of 93 speakers, Don Scott will be the first black male speaker, the first black anything, male or female speaker. Um, and he um, is one of 93. <laughs> you know, he's one of 93. And of course, Louise Lucas being the chair of finance is, of course, the first time that's ever happened in history. You see, of course, the power shift from Northern Virginia to Hampton Roads in the state government, and I would argue in local and somewhat in federal government with Bobby Scott sitting there for the first time in history. And there's a panic in Nova. <laughs> and why there's a panic in Nova, I have absolutely no idea. Chief of which, if you're a Democrat, you should absolutely love this moment because in fact, Louise Lucas, Senator Lucas and Senator Locke are absolutely representing the number one most loyal voting bloc in the Democratic Party in Virginia and in the nation, that would be black women. You should be thrilled by that. That shouldn't be, that shouldn't elicit fear. <laughs> that should elicit, wow, this is, this is good. Uh, and this will hopefully motivate, if you're a Democrat, you should be saying, wow, hopefully motivate people to vote in 2024, which is going to be a consequential year in American history. So we have four black people who are in leadership positions for all intents and purposes, the appropriations chair, the finance chair, the speaker, and Mamie Locke will be the caucus chair. There shouldn't be panic over that if you're a Democrat. You shouldn't be feeling any no, sense of tension over that if you're a Democrat. No, especially if you have understanding of the history. Yeah. And so in the Senate, of course, you have seven black senators. That is 20%, a little under 20% of the 40-member Senate for the first time in history representing the actual population of the Commonwealth of Virginia. Seven is an all-time high, right? Yes, it's an all-time high. So the point here is, this is the way it should have been. I mean, this is the or dream that is been. America. <laughs> it's not something that it should be looked at. It certainly could have been that way, whether, you know, it's Virginia, so whether it should have been, you know, it, it could have been, but it wasn't for some reason, and, you know, for reasons. And we kind of know what those reasons are. Well, we know what those reasons were. So that's my f fifth takeaway. If you have a sense of the history, then this is kind of natural progression. Um, you know, I think right around 1890 is when the last black people got elected to the Virginia legislature. And those people only got elected to the legislature because the Union Army was overseeing, you know, activities in the southern states. Because the southern states had, you know, kind of declared what they were all about. And so then the Union Army pulls out and things go back to, you know, almost as bad as the way they were, if, you know, not as bad. And Jim Crow and the Virginia Constitution gets rewritten right about the, the turn of the century to codify, you know, segregation and Jim Crow. So none of that gets uh, broken up at all. In, in the Virginia legislature until 1967, when they got their first black member. After that period, it's about a 77 year period. It's a black caucus of one in the 1968 legislature. And who, uh, or, and who was that? Yeah, both houses, dad. 
And so at that time, there were three females, all white, two from Northern Virginia, one from Tidewater, you know, not from Southwest, these white females, two from Northern Virginia, one from Virginia Beach. That was the diversity in the House of Delegates in 1968, a black guy and three white females. Cut to 56 years after that, and now those numbers that you just rattled off, the numbers of people running for office, wherever they're running for office, whatever their district uh, partisan voter indexes are, it's inclusion versus exclusion. And a lot of those districts are going to take a lot more time. My point is, if you have a sense of the historical context, you see the progression. And, you know, dad's 98. One thing about him, he's patient. And he knows none of this stuff happens, you know, right when you want it to happen. You have to keep working hard for it. And, you know, you have to do some things that others might criticize you for. They might criticize you because you're, you know, bucking the system or because, you know, they don't want to see these shifts that you're talking about. They would rather have power centers only in Northern Virginia. It, it upsets them when the power center is moving to Tidewater, especially when that Tidewater power, you know, is mostly black or all black. But hey, you know, it's the state, it's the country, it's the demographics. Roll with it. And if you can't handle it, then, uh, you know, how do you profess these American values that we're supposed to profess? Is it all talk, just like we were talking about earlier? Is it all talk or is there any action behind it? And Virginia, kind of this election, you know, whether you are totally satisfied with it or you think you could have done much better, yeah, I think there's a lot of meat left on the bone. We could have done so much better. But we got the majority back. And, you know, the power dynamic is moving around. And that's just natural progression. And that was episode 27 of the Black Virginia News Podcast. Uh, Fergie Reed Jr. and myself talking about our takeaways of 2023 elections. Uh, There's a lot to talk about going into 2024. We're dealing with a Republican Party that is unrecognizable from what it was 20 and 30 and even really only 10 years ago, uh, led by Donald Trump, who is openly saying that he is going to effectively lead a fascist uh, style regime if he gets back into power. So the backdrop of our discussion happens knowing that that is coming up in 2024. Uh, This is Lauren Burke. This has been the Black Virginia News Podcast. Thanks to all of the new subscribers. There was a ton of new subscribers in the last two weeks. Thank you so much. And uh, everybody enjoy Thanksgiving. Virginia News on Facebook at facebook.com backslash Black Virginia News and on TikTok and Twitter at Black Virginia News. Send comments and tips to News at gmail.com. Thank you for listening to Black Virginia News. 